This podcast is part of the National Archives Voices of the Armistice campaign, commemorating 90 years since the end of the First World War. Hear more voices at nationalarchives.gov.uk forward slash armistice. Part one of five. My name is William Spencer. I'm the Principal Military Specialist at the National Archives at Kew. WO 95-1495. In accordance with Field Service Regulations of 1909 Part 2, it was the responsibility of all units in the field to keep a day-to-day account of their activities. These records are known as Unit War Diaries. In accordance with King's Regulations, it was not allowed for individuals to keep their own personal diaries whilst in the front line. What follows are extracts from such diaries, which are, in many cases, very unusual. August 24th, 1914. Monday. We're now waiting at half station to begin our 12 hours ride to somewhere. It's very hot here. We started at 12pm, and after 16 hours of grinding and bumping, Roar and rattle, we have now reached the town of Lakato, about 30 miles from the frontier. We do not know where we move to next. 24th of August. Marched down to railway station and entrained about 9am. Off at noon, men in very crowded trucks. One, unfortunately, fell off in a tunnel, our first casualty, but was not dead. August 25th, 1914. Tuesday. After a hurried breakfast, during which we stood by for orders, we moved off through Lakato. We have now retired, and at 11.50am we are waiting for the Germans to appear. All the poor refugees are going by us, crying bitterly, also a few of our wounded. What a terrible thing it is at present. What will it be like later on? We all have good brave hearts with us, and are all prepared to help our good friends the French. What a fine country this is. They will give you their shirts. We get lots of rotten tales told to us. I'm acting as CO's orderly. A heavy thunderstorm has just ended for a time. I've seen a few of the effects of a shell on the house. We are in range of the Germans' guns now in Briest. We marched all night. I have a rifle and 25 rounds. All my equipment is gone on the wagon, and where they go to no one knows. I've also seen a shell burst. I lost the whole of my equipment and bike here. 25th of August. Reached Boussigny. The advance base about 3am. There we were met by a staff officer who told us that there was heavy fighting in front and our troops were retiring. He took us on the train to Lakato where we detrained at 4am, had breakfast, drew two days rations and marched at 7am on the road to Salem. C Company under Major Barlow doing advance guard. We met a continuous stream of refugees and heard the thunder of the guns ahead. We were ordered first to Briastra, then kept on the Salem road until close to that town, then ordered back about a mile to Bellevue. We found the East Lanks on our right, Somerset Light Infantry on our left, and heard that the 10th Infantry Brigade were on our left front and the 12th on our left rear. Rifle Brigade and the 1st of our artillery to arrive were in Briastre. The position was an impossible one to defend, very exposed to artillery fire and difficult to retire from. We understood that our objective was to cover the retirement of the 3rd Division and the 19th Infantry Brigade, which were being hard-pressed. About noon we moved to Briastra and the Rifle Brigade moved up to support the Somerset Light Infantry who were engaged. It rained hard all the afternoon. At dusk we were ordered to retire. A and D companies under Major Hicks to hold the village of Briastra as rear guard. But after dark 
Heavy firing broke out all along the front, partly it is feared on the stragglers of the 3rd Division, who were trying to get past, and there were some casualties. An officer of the South Lanks being killed, but none of ours fired a shot, keeping very calm. About 10pm the rear guard withdrew to the road Viesli Preel, passing the composite regiment of household cavalry in Betancourt. August 26, 1914. Wednesday. Written at 5am after two and a half hours of well-earned rest by the roadside. We did a night march from about 7pm to 2 or 3.15 o'clock. We were in Beauvais waiting for work to begin. Our march was illuminated by the flare of burning houses fired by Germans. We're having our baptism of fire. We began fighting at 5am. It is fearful and we have a few wounded. The shrapnel shell is the chief cause. I've just been to Ligny for ammunition at 9am. Still fighting hard. Our guns have silenced the enemy for a while. We're now waiting for the 10th and 12th brigades to support us. The noise at times is fearful. We marvellously escaped annihilation. We had to retire and they caught us with shrapnel. It was nearly a wholesale round and slaughter. Poor old Kennard is dead. We also just managed to sneak from Ligny. The French arrived and saved us. 26th of August. The march continued until 2am. Very dark and bad marching over muddy pave. No alarms. In Bivois, we passed part of the 12th Infantry Brigade, but in the narrow streets of this village in Fontaine-au-Pier, adjoining it, there was much confusion and we halted until daylight. The men lying down on the pavements or on the floor of the houses. About 5am, we moved out in a northwesterly direction, passing the Rifle Brigade, but it was soon clear that we were on the wrong road. Colonel Jackson got a French peasant to direct us towards Ocor which had been given us as approximately the left of the position we were to occupy. As the battalion passed to the east of the village of Fontaine, guns opened up from the north, and at the same time, heavy rifle fire broke out in the village, where the German cavalry apparently surprised the rest of the brigade, including all the first-line transport. B Company covered our retirement, and it was during this movement that Captain Baxter and Lieutenant Lahunt were wounded. Our machine gun and wagon were apparently smashed by a shell here, but the rest of the first line transport got away. About 6am we reached the bridge over the railway, a mile northeast of Ocor, and tried to select a defensive position, but we had no idea of the general line to be occupied by the division. Only we could see troops, apparently 10th or 12th Brigade retiring on our left. On our right were the Rifle Brigade and Somerset Light Infantry. German guns on our left front were shelling the retiring infantry. A little later, the whole of our divisional artillery came up to Ocor and got into position. About 8am, the 12th Infantry Brigade began to advance a mile to our left. I could not see anything in their front except a few hostile scouts and some concealed guns. Not a shot was fired by our artillery, and they were simply swept away. They made three or four attempts to advance, all equally fruitless, and as they retired, they were pelted by shrapnel and must have lost heavily. Gradually, German infantry, or dismounted cavalry, appeared on our front and flanks at about 1,500 yards and opened to a desultory fire. Our position was astride the railway line, which ran here in a deep cutting, the sides covered with thick undergrowth. Captains Pulk and Connellan, with part of C and D companies, were on the higher ground north of the railway and were under continuous heavy fire of guns and infantry, as well as machine guns, the whole time. Our left, south of the railway line, was better concealed. The German scouts kept working along the railway, the small party on the bridge kept them in order and stretched seven dead on the line. About 10am the Germans began an attack on Ocor, with considerable numbers of infantry, 
supported by a huge circle of guns. But by this time our artillery were ready and never allowed the attack to get within effective range of the 10th Infantry Brigade trenches. But as this attack was taking place, Major Hicks moved part of A and B companies forward on our left in order to take it in the flank, and the Brigadier General ordered up part of the East Lanks under Major Green to support. But it was met by a storm of shrapnel and withdrawn at once, not without loss. About noon we received orders to retire. It is understood that the 5th Division further on our right, about Cordry, had withdrawn. Captain Polk withdrew his men in good order and very reluctant to give way. Their losses, considering their exposed position for five hours, were not heavy. The retirement was carried out in good order, but some further losses occurred as we climbed the long slopes leading up to ligny eur There we were told that a French counter-attack was already in movement, and our job was done for the day. We were to take shelter and rest. A heavy artillery duel continued all the afternoon, varied by sharp bursts of musketry, but so far as we knew, our brigade was not threatened. But suddenly at 4pm we got orders to retire immediately, and as we filed through the streets of Ligny, we were told to fix bayonets and double, which was more than we were capable of. We learnt afterwards that a tremendous attack by the Prussian guards had swept round on our right, driving away the east lanks and entering the village on the east while we were mostly asleep in a hollow on the west side. Luckily, they were slow in following up their advantage, and our artillery covered the retirement. But the next three hours, until darkness intervened, were terrible. Shells seemed to be bursting all round. The village of Colliery was set on fire as we passed it, but we had no further casualties. At Ellingcourt, about 6pm, we were jammed up by the 3rd Division, which crossed our route, and a very trying delay occurred. As darkness came on, the whole column seemed hopelessly jammed on the road. Guns and transport were two or three deep, and the infantry on the fields at the side of the road. It really seemed the end, but luckily the German pursuit appeared to stop at nightfall. After dark, the 11th Infantry Brigade struck off in southeasterly direction and reached Seren at 9pm, where we halted, having covered nearly 20 miles in the 24 hours from Briast. The men rested until 2am in the streets and houses, the inhabitants being very kind in providing hot water, bread, etc. This podcast is a recording of extracts taken from records at the National Archives and is a copyright of the Crown. 